Hi, you're listening to more conversations at the center of the movement to build connection and belonging in an age of isolation. Today, we're going to talk about what's at stake. This show is all about building connections and building community, but what's at stake if we don't? On this episode, you'll hear from Denny and his story about Don, an irascible old coot, as he likes to affectionately call him, and how he helped Don get back to his community roots after being institutionalized for 30 years. This is such an important story to remember how far we have come, but also what's at stake if we don't do this work. I hope you get a lot from this. Checking one, two, three. Great. So... We can get started. Well, hi, my name is Denny Berger. I'm retired. I serve on the board of Good Life Networks. And I also am a volunteer for Pro Kids as a CASA. And so what else am I supposed to talk about? What is is something about community building or being part of the community that you're interested in or passionate about? Well, I guess my orientation comes a lot from when I was working, I worked with people with intellectual and other kinds of developmental disabilities in a county-based service system. I know I met a lot of people over the years who lived in institutions or at home with their families or were moving out of institutions and into the community or were just finding their own place for the first time. And in all those cases, it's great to know your neighbors. It's great to have some connection with the people around you. So I would say community building to me is knowing your neighbors, having a relationship with them, looking out for each other, especially people who tend to be devalued or labeled with some kind of disability. It's really important in that sense. Because they're typically not included? Or or why would you say it's... Well, they're typically not included or they're at risk of being isolated, being lonely, and being dependent on paid staff for anything they do. And that's not always the best circumstances to be in. Yeah. I think there's a pretty powerful story that you have around this. So let's... Let's jump into how you came to know your friend Don. Don. So this was probably in the late 90s. I met this guy who lived in a state-operated facility. And it was the kind of situation where people live 16 to a so-called cottage. But really, you know, cottage is a euphemism. (laughs) And there were about eight or nine so-called cottages. You can do the math. It was a big institution, essentially. So this guy that I met through some mutual friends had a compelling, well, this came out over time, but essentially what he told me was he needed to get out of here. He needed to get out of where he lived because he belonged on Gracely Drive. And Gracely Drive was a street in Sailor Park where he grew up, right on the river, a river community. Nice little town, really, you know, walkable streets. Yeah, huge trees. And it's the kind of thing where you do know your neighbors and everybody knows everybody and people have lived there for generations. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's a nice, nice little community. And Don lived there with his parents until he was about 30. He was sort of a, as a kid, I'm sure he was a real active. You know, he loved to fish. He rode his bike around. 
I don't know what kind of what kind of friendships he had in the neighborhood as a kid. I don't know, but I saw a lot of pictures of him. You know, with his pants rolled up, wading in the river, and he always talked about riding the uh, Anderson Ferry. He lived close to that. That's sort of a Cincinnati landmark that goes over the river back and forth, quite a few times a day. But you know, when I met Don, he was probably 60, 59, 60 years old. Right. So there was the time where he lived in his home in Sailor Park on Gracely Drive, and then there was a time when he lived in this institution, and it ended up being about half of his life was spent in a community and the other half in an institution. Exactly. Tell me about the time period that Don lived and, and what that looked like for him to move to an institution? Why was that a choice that his parents ended up Well, making? it was probably, I forget exactly when, he was born sometime in the 30s, maybe mid to late 30s. You know, I mean, I think he probably was at times challenging, you know, but as his parents aged, I mean, I think the, the family doctor recommended that Don would be better off. He was kind of a handful and his parents, I think his dad had died by this time, and maybe it was just his mom. I can't remember. But the doctor essentially recommended that Don be placed at Orient, which was a large state-run institution, yeah. essentially. And that would be better for him. How old was he at that point? He was like 30. Yeah. Yeah. And so he moved to the state institution, and his mom followed the doctor's advice. I think she had, she was a little sad about it, but. It sounded like for many years, she kind of, she was able to bat off the doctor's advice and say, no, this is my son, he's staying with us. But then after 30 years and when she started aging, that was the choice that she kind of was presented with and felt that was the only choice she had left. Is, is that well, right? Well, and I think the other factor was what's going to happen to him when I'm gone. Right. You know, and I think in her mind, she felt like he would be safer Yeah. in the institution because she probably didn't want to ask the sister to be responsible for Don. She had her own life, her mm -hmm. own children, etc. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was with the best of intentions that you know, she felt she was able to feel more secure that Don will be in a safe place and I don't have to worry about him. And there was a story about institutions before the real story came out, which was that it is a safe place and this is where people can be in community with people, quote unquote, like them. And Yeah, that's um, the myth. Yeah, that was the story <laughs> being kind of marketed at that time before a lot of the injustices and like absurdities came out into the open and you know you had the Willowbrook documentary and Robert Kennedy coming out and revealing a lot of the atrocities so so this was prior to that and Don was living in the institution then for about 30 years which well, he moved in, he lived in Orient until okay. then Orient got closed okay. as part of the state institutionalization push Deinstitutionalization? Deinstitutionalization okay. push, sorry, yes. And when that closed, I remember like just busloads of people in Butler County. There was a place called Fairfield Center, which was funded. Basically, it was an institution too, but it was more privately operated. It wasn't operated by the state of Ohio. It was funded by the state of Ohio. And so he moved in there. And that was, you know, I don't know, 120 people, something like that, living there. So it was just a smaller version of where he had been with newer buildings. Right. Less Gothic. Right. <laughs> 
sounds but, like there's a pattern here in our society that we... <laughs> the mindset used to be that these people need special protection. They need to be, you know, congregated and segregated because there was all these myths about they were a burden, they were pitiable. There was the narrative of sexual deviation and bad behavior, mm -hmm. all that. Yeah. So that was in part the dysfunctional reasons why people were lumped together. Sure. So yeah, Don lived, that's where he was living when I met him. Okay, and it sounds like kind of in that time period, a lot of his past in Sailor Park stayed with him. But It never went away. Yeah. It never went away. He always said, apparently, I talked to other people that knew him longer than I had, and he would always say, I belong on Gracely oh. Drive. I don't belong here. I want to live in a, a group home, someplace other than here. So he always wanted to return. He never forgot his home. And I think he did romanticize and idealize going home. Mm -hmm. You know, he thought, in his mind, his life would take up where it left off before he, he was moved into Orient. But 30 years yeah. went by and you can't go back, yeah. you know? A lot happens in three decades to a town and to people and... Um. I had people died, his mom died, you know, his sister was still alive and she didn't live in Sailor Park, but she was still in the community, you know, in the greater it, Cincinnati area. Yeah, and it shows he, he was just completely out of touch. Yeah. You know, hadn't gone back, hadn't visited, maybe nobody from his yeah, I don't think, family visited. Yeah, no, yeah. not as far as I know. So just completely cut off and I, and I just, that is heartbreaking to yeah, think that was, somebody would have and he remembered all, you know, like yeah. people from the neighborhood. He told me stories about his next door neighbor, Bill, and his wife, and, you know, how they would do things together, or he would go over there and just hang out with them sometimes, and they would welcome him into their home. Yeah. And he remembered that. He remembered that feeling, I think, of being somewhere where people know you. They know who you are. They care about you, and he didn't. He lost that when he moved into the institution. It was very anonymous, you know. Well, and I think the story of resilience there is that he those experiences actually were in some ways probably a buoy for him throughout that entire time period where he could remember and think back on a time when things were different, and that in some ways that was a mantra that kept him alive I think or that's right I think that's right he surviving. did it, it kind of he was a survivor and part of his gift was he motivated people to try to help him mm. and I mean we were able to put ourselves in or speaking for myself I put myself in very uncomfortable situations that time on Don's behalf well tell me how you ended up finding a way to support him to getting back home how did that process well begin? there was like a little group of people and we were all sort of like service, service workers, to be honest. But I spent a lot of time going back to Sailor Park with and without Don, you know, like meeting. Actually, I met his nephew who lived in the house where he grew up, and he really didn't really want his crazy uncle back there. That's kind of exactly what he said. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and let's just pause for a second there because it, it just tells so much about the story that had been told about Don. Yeah, he's gone, he's put away, but he was crazy. 
He was and, crazy. He's better off where he yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, having not even probably known him, he, you said he was his nephew. I mean, he was yeah. probably really young when he left. Yeah, yeah. So just, it's the story that gets told to kind of almost make things okay. Or... Exactly. That was the narrative. Don was a crazy Huge. guy. And he was better off where he was. Yeah. He yeah. was with his own type of people, etc. all that. But in terms of... What else? I think I just got to know Don really well. We spent a lot of time together, and he cracked me up. He came to my house for holidays. He came for Thanksgiving. He came over Christmas time. But he, he didn't go anywhere. So At the time, was that a typical thing for a case manager to bring uh, somebody home that they worked for? And, some people did. I mean, and... you know, I wouldn't say it was unheard of, but, uh-huh. you know, it was not typical. Right. So clearly Don and you had kind of hit it off and there was, you weren't bringing everybody <laughs> oh, home yeah. that you supported. Yeah, my kids but... got to know him, you yeah. know, he'd call up and yell into the phone and, <laughs> you know, my kids couldn't understand him and they go, Dad, it's Don. <laughs> <laughs> Some loud guy on the phone going, Davis, the old man. He's like, okay, I think it's for you, Dad. But so, uh, I mean, we, we had a strong affection for each other. One of the bad habits Don picked up at the institution was he smoked a lot. And I mean, that was like one of his main things, smoking. And he, and I think a lot of people that live in institutions, they guard their possessions because things get stolen, you know. So he really, especially, I think cigarettes, you know, if you think about institutions, unfortunately, if you think about jail, like institute or cigarettes, or almost like a form of currency, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so I think that was similar where he lived. Right. And so anyway, they had a lot of importance to him. And he developed some things that, you know, like he would smoke cigarettes up his nose instead of his mouth, which, you know, didn't help portray mm-hmm. him as a typical person. But it was something that is more, you know, Unusual behaviors are more the norm in institutions. Yeah. Nobody comments on them. Right. You know, there's a high tolerance for anything like that. Right, and low expectations. Exactly, no for, expectations. For your, yeah, no yeah. expectations. So you all came together as a group of service workers, and you held a, a kind of a meeting around Don's passions and interests and dream, his dream, right? Right, we um, did a path. And one of the things that I love that came up on that during that meeting is one of his biggest strengths was that he's an accomplished smoker. Very accomplished smoker, yes. <laughs> so you he take was. so you take these <laughs> you take these things that uh, were typically seen as odd behaviors or odd, you know, absurdities about Don and you and you find the strengths in him. And so what other things kinda came out of that and, and what were the steps that were taken after that meeting that got him home? So some of the other I mean, sort of the defining comment that came out of that is I want my own key I want my own key and that had a lot of resonance for everyone I think because you know it it really indicated such a yearning for home and my own place or at least apart away from where I live now with all these other people that I don't want to be around Mm -hmm. certainly Um, he had roommates oh yeah and yeah Yeah. no privacy the only people that had roommates were the people that were violent right you know oh okay so that's one way to get your own room exactly people figure that out pretty quick like the woman that told me I heard her talking to another uh, woman and said don't ever tell them what you like they'll make you earn it overheard that you know, and that's kind of like, yeah, there you go. I mean, so people who live in institutions figure out the culture, 
you know, they may have an identified disability, but that doesn't mean they're not perceptive and they don't understand what's happening. But anyway, he was such a survivor. And so his strengths, accomplished smoker, a strong survival instinct, an ability to mobilize people on his behalf, because we all felt compelled to help Don, yeah. you know, because his passion was so strong. You know, he had such a long memory and a strong passion to be living back where he grew up, mm -hmm. to rediscover his lost life, I mm -hmm. would say. Don and I did like speaking engagements together. We went around and talked and Don had a compelling story to tell. So it became, he sort of a minor celebrity in DD mm. circles a little bit. And as a result, we lived in Butler mm. County, but the superintendent at the time from Hamilton County was very touched by his story and contacted me and said she would allocate funds for Don to move out of the institution and live in Hamilton County. And back to his strengths that he knows how to organize people around what he needs. And right, he knew how to years. motivate people, yeah. you know? He and didn't give he, up. He knew how to touch people. Yeah. He was, again, that whole narrative of, I'm a survivor, I'm gonna outlive this crap, yeah. I'm yeah. getting out of here. Yes. It really did mobilize people, and it mobilized the superintendent. It gives me chills to think about somebody who knew what he wanted all those years. He had a strong yearning. Yeah. You know, and he was, he never used these words, but I think he felt like his life had been stolen from him and he wanted it back. Absolutely. And he was not going to rest until he got it back. Absolutely. So, okay. Superintendent gives him this key, this ticket. Well, they found a provider that would, that agreed to provide services and support Don living in the community. An apartment was found on Gracely Drive mm. where he wanted to live. But really what he wanted was to live back in the house he grew up in, where nephew Ricky was living, and he wanted nothing to do with Don. As a matter of fact, one time Don and I were walking down Gracely Drive, and Ricky drove by in his car and pulled over. and said, what are you guys doing here? So we're looking for an apartment for Don, and he was not pleased. He felt like, you know, and that was his family. But again, he was young, he, you know, and he totally internalized the whole yeah. narrative of the crazy uncle right. who belonged in the institution. Yeah, and... He didn't know the real had, Don. Yeah, there's fear in that. There's there's all kinds of things to unpack Resentment, yeah. like, why is he back? He's got a claim to this house. Shame, yeah. public shame, or... But there's something inside that nephew, too, and we, we know that, that any time there's a, a way into somebody's heart to see somebody as human, <clears throat> that is the way to kind of reform or treat somebody as a family member. As, that, that hope, I, I even hear that nephew, and I think that, that if he knew Don the way you knew him, his heart could change. Yeah, and, and, and it's when we're in relationship, it's when we're in community that hearts are changed, not when we keep each other separate in systems and institutions. Clearly, right. that's the division. You have to be known. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, that's what makes safety in the community is when you know your neighbors, you're known by people, people look out for you, you look out for them. There's a mm -hmm. reciprocal relationship. Mm -hmm. So you found an apartment on Gracely Drive. Right, he moved in. I remember I, I drove over and picked him up. There's a funny photograph, I think it's funny, of Don looking all pissed off and, you know, because it's he's with three staff and like one is the social the young sorry I don't mean to be stereotypical here but the young perky social worker who's about 22 mm -hmm. then there's the nurse who's worked with Don for a long time 
and she's smiling. And then there's the direct service staff who from the institution from the institution that is looking just as like pissed off as Don is. Yeah, so it's kind of funny, you know. That picture's in the in the show notes, or it's linked somehow to this podcast. So yeah. if you want to check it out, you can right. see it. Yeah. But the I think one of the things about direct service staff during this era, and I'm I don't want to you know, tar everyone with this brush. I mean, there's lots of great direct service support staff, wonderful people that are doing everything for the right reasons. But in this era, in large institutions especially, I think the staff, and this is probably still true for a lot of staff, but they would tend to focus on the deficiencies of people that they purportedly supported. Mm -hmm. It, rather than the strengths, the gifts, the passions, the skills, the interests. You know, they weren't interested. They didn't see any of that. Right. They just a saw a guy that smoked cigarettes up his nose. Right. He had no teeth, by the way, that were all pulled out in the institution. I don't know why. But he had not a tooth in his head. You know, he did have false teeth, but he refused to wear them yeah. in typical Don irascible fashion. That was part of the difficulty, I think, for a lot of staff. Yeah, and his face at the it's the, at, at the cottage institution when he was leaving, or was it the cottage there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he didn't look happy. He looked irritated in that photograph. But then he gets to Gracely Drive. But he gets to Gracely Drive. He has his own you know, key. We, we got him a, a key and, you know, something he could wear around his neck because that's what he wanted, even though that's not the most typical thing, and it kind of identifies him maybe as, you know, we were working on changing that. Just imagery-wise, you mean exactly. that's not the best. Yeah, yeah I mean, but... you know, most people don't have a key on a ring around their yeah. neck, you know, on a chain around their neck. Yeah. But anyway, that's how, where we started. Yeah. And he was really happy. He had an easy chair in there, and he was pretty happy to be there. But... To him, Gracely Drive meant moving back to that house he yeah. grew up in. So there years, was that. 30 years ago. Right, things exactly. Way different. But Ricky was living there, and that wasn't happening. Yeah. Real world isn't always what it is in our minds and in our dreams and what we, you know, what right. we aspire for. But So when you started walking around the neighborhood with Don to kind of get acclimated to this new world of, you know, 30 years later, Sailor, Sailor Park, did you find any people who knew him well, the next-door neighbors, or the people that lived a couple doors down from that house, they were elderly now, but we stopped over to see them, and they were happy that Don was back, and we had tea and cookies. Are these the same neighbors that he used to talk about? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were still alive, although Bill died shortly thereafter, the, the husband. And the okay. wife, you know, they were both in their probably mid to late 80s, I would think. So they weren't getting out and about too much. They were pretty much homebodies. What and a beautiful reunion. Was it was that, sweet, oh yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was sweet. Did, were they surprised to see him, or? Uh, well, I had had, con- like, I was yeah. part of what I, part of the legwork I had done earlier was, okay. you know, notifying them and contact, and we had been over to visit them before. So what was the reunion like when you first went? It was touching. Yeah. Yeah, it was touching. There was... A little hug from the from the I forget the wife's name now, Harriet maybe, but yeah, it was very sweet. Mm. And Don, Don was happy to see her, and I think he felt a little bit of a homecoming then. So that was good. Yeah, that was great. Tell me about the safety that he experienced home on Gracely Drive and the the safety he experienced in the institution. Can we can we draw a comparison? Sure. I mean. 
Well, that's, we'll talk a, a little bit in generality, but you know, I mentioned before a lot of staff, seed efficiency, not gift. The training isn't particularly good. A lot of staff, when left to their own devices, are capable of some very bad behavior. You know, Don talked about when he lived at Orient, someone held a knife to his throat, and he said it was a staff person. I believe him. I mean, he had, but, you know, who knows? He was robbed a lot. He had, like, personal possessions stolen a lot, money. So when he lived at Orient, I didn't witness anything like that. But in institutions, a lot of times, people are vulnerable. And part of it is even though they live in an institution, they can still be isolated and lonely. They're not really very happy to be there. I used to think this was very ironic, you know, that people don't even have a space or a time when they can be alone. Yeah. And we used to fund, like in people's plans, there was actually alone time was something that was allocated. Right. Like they like get three hours, three right? hours of alone yeah. time a day, which I always thought that was for all good intentions. But you see how weird that is oh, in terms still, of it's still, in still a thing. Plans as, as far yeah. as like, oh, this person gets no alone time. Right. No alone or, time, meaning yeah. they have 24 hour, yeah. seven day a week supervision. Yeah. 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 Does that make them safer? If their staff is good, if they have a relationship with their staff, the quality of the service is only as good as the quality of the relationship. And one of the things about community services are that direct care staff are turning over constantly. There's always new people, and some of them are not good. Some of them are just there to make 10 bucks an hour or 12 bucks an hour. I mean, they're not paid. They don't, you know, they don't have a commitment to the work. They don't. And sometimes they're resentful that because of the lack of training, they tend to interact with the people that they're supposed to be respectfully supporting like they're a bad child. Right. It's lack of training in the good training sense, and it's poor training. Too much bad training. Yeah, right. right. And it's to your point that it's deficiency-based. There's still a lot of deficiency-based training out there. Absolutely. I mean, it's something that... This is your behavior plan, and... This is the person's case file, and let's go through and not think about anything that is about their passions or interests or strengths. It's about this is how you have to show up for this person to quote-unquote be safe because they are violent or they are these things that you know get labeled onto a person right. and, and then, then they never leave and then they never leave and to your point about the institution saying you know you believe him when he tells you these stories but no one was there to even witness it exactly and that no one safety. no one is there to know if things aren't going good <laughs> or no one comments yeah. i mean theoretically there's a quality assurance you know even in the state institution there was supposed to be some kind of quality assurance but really that didn't exist right you know right it was just kind of what went on behind closed doors. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, I don't have to tell you. There's all kind of horrible things that have happened. You know, you think about Willowbrook, if you've ever seen any footage of that or yeah. any of the big state institutions. It's just not a good thing to do, segregate people. It's and, bad and congregate them. And what <laughs> you're saying is that people are still home in situations where they're not known by neighbors and the only people they know or who know them are staff and there still can be things that happen behind closed doors to your point of like it depends on their quality of the relationship and the training of these direct support workers and so while we might have a different iteration of what an institution looks like we still have these abuses happening in people's homes absolutely and i mean i think a lot of people who need support come to believe that they deserve no better you know this is like as good as it gets you know 
a staff person that resents their presence. Part of it is, too, there's no recourse. You know, like, what do you do? Who do you tell? Mm -hmm. In theory, now, you can talk to your SSA and say, this is bad, and I went out of here. Who also turn over on a pretty regular basis. That's right, and who also are hamstrung by lack of option. And, la- and a huge amount of people that they're working exactly. for. Exactly. Yeah. Too many people to know all very intimately. and Yeah. You know, and there's not really many options for, you know, this person's already placed, so that's one less person to worry about. But a lot of times, you know, they get discouraged from wanting something better. I think it's pretty obvious to the listener, but I want to make sure we do make the distinction between Harriet and Bill and a direct support worker in a institution. Yeah, or, right. I mean, they're, those are like citizens, free citizens that have want to have a relationship mm-hmm. with, you know, with Don. Mm-hmm. They want to they remember him when he was a boy. They have a lot of affection for him. They want things to go better for him. Yeah. They're sad the way, you know, his life turned out. And Staff don't know Don, they don't know that history, and they don't typically find out anything about his history. And then there are staff like you who are more of the Jedi staff, right? <laughs> so there are Jedi staff out there, and there are there people, are. And there are people who have been direct support workers with the same people for 30 years. Right. I just want to acknowledge that. Right, who, they're like family. Yes, and Absolutely. they are caring, no, loving there are, presences. There are lots of good people lives. that do this work. Yes. Yeah. It's just that they're not all good, like right. anything. And know. so it's like the risk there. There's a, just a risk. And and then and the greater the risk is the less the people who know that person who aren't necessarily paid or trained to control them or support them. They're not paid. They don't have a manager right. telling them what to do. Or you're just kind of like, you're just somebody who, who's known Don his whole life and you, you care about him. Right. And, and that's not to say things in the community can't be dangerous but I think really really teasing this out it's it's about how many eyes are on everyone so are you one person in a house an apartment with only staff and no other eyes on you but staff or are you on Gracely Drive walking down the street in a community of a lot of eyes where people are looking out for each other and that's why why it's so important I think too when we talk about community building it can't just be in community in isolation it has to be in community in a, in a fabric that's woven together of people who know each other and kind of look out for each other right, right. and predictable patterns are good you know like go to the coffee shop every morning yeah. at nine o'clock and you kind of get to know people or go to the library on a regular basis and get to know people that way. Mm-hmm. So there's strategies and rhythms that are more conducive to community building that can counter that possibility of isolation. And even with Don, I mean, the staff weren't really into putting themselves out. The fact that, frankly, the Butler County SSA director was his pal gave them some purchase to be on their toes a little Uh, more than they typically would. Sure. You know, or, you know, if his sister and nephew had been around more, it would have been the same. You know, it's like with anything. When people see that you're valued by others, then they tend to treat you with more respect. Mm -hmm. But if you have no connection, no relationships, nobody that really cares about you, then... It's easy to get isolated and alone and be more vulnerable. Throw away. Yeah. And I mean, and most people with disabilities are poor. 
75 mm-hmm. percent are still unemployed I think maybe you know maybe that's improved a little bit but that was the stat yeah you know so I mean poor people don't have a lot of options yeah. you know and they're more at risk frankly mm-hmm. so you know that's part of how it goes yeah there is a lot of hope right now and that what we're what we're doing at Starfire and with Good Life Networks is part of that hope and it's this is a reminder about why we do it where we've come from yeah it's the the way that benevolent services were envisioned were under the best intentions put people together and keep them with their own kind and protect them like I'm sure that doctor when he told Don's mother to move him into Orient had good intentions for Don but he didn't know the reality of what life was like there and so, if we don't talk about the realities of what can happen right, when, right. then then it's going to be another doctor down and, the you road. You know, Don basically had no choice, no connection, no real support. He never left the institution. I think you know what we try to do. What we're, the work we're trying to do now is have people be known. It's more on community. Yeah, and Harriet and Bill, you know, they don't have a son or daughter with a disability. But they're part of the community. Clearly, they know people Clearly, on the yeah, street. They, so right. come they on in. They had a long Let's, history there. Yeah. They had a long history. A lot of allies and people that I think are going to make it more rich. So take me back to the day of Don's funeral and tell me what that was like. Well, it was pretty sad because Don had only moved into his apartment nine months before. And I, as I've said, I mean... You know, the many years of living in the institution had taken its toll. I mean, his main form of recreation was cigarette smoking. Cigarette smoking up his nose. So after about nine months of living in his own apartment, he just stepped out of the shower one day and keeled over, had a heart attack, and died. So it was very sudden. And he was 63 years old when he passed away. I felt pretty sad, and a lot of people did, because he had had such a long journey on his sort of circuitous path on the way back to Gracely Drive. There were a lot of human services people at his funeral. The superintendent that funded his services came. All his family came. A lot of num- people from the community came. You know, a lot of people from Sailor Park, and I didn't know who they were, came that knew Don or remembered him or knew his family. and came to, to pay respects. What do you think it would have looked like if he was in the institution when he died? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's, there was a whole thing about when I was working, if someone died and they had no one, which was common, there was no one to pay for the funeral. And you couldn't use support dollars to pay for a funeral. So we would literally pass the hat. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so what does that tell you? It would have been more like that. You know, maybe because he lived in a state institution, the state, I don't know, but... Who would have been there? Yeah, me, you know, staff. Some staff would have shown up, for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't, and certainly nobody from the community in Salem Park, or unlikely, his sister, and I doubt if his nephew would have come, his sister might, because, I mean, it was right on, the funeral home was right on Gracely Drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was right in Sailor Park, in the heart of Sailor Park. You know, if he had died in Fairfield, then that would have been totally different. Yeah. It's hard to say, but it would not have been a community event of people coming together to remember and pay tribute to a tenacious old coot like Don. That's what he was. (laughs) 
when you first told me that he died only nine months after he moved in, I, I thought, what a tragedy, you know, yeah. and I was really heartbroken by that. And then I thought about it and I just realized, you know, it's actually such a triumph that he, he spent his last days exactly where he wanted to be and he was home. Yeah. He was well, home when he passed. Maybe not exactly, but cl- as close yeah. as we could get him, you know. And yeah. so, yeah, it was definitely a big improvement. You know, and a lot of people express similar comments as what you just said, that, well, he ended up his life where he wanted to be. And yeah. that is true, you know. I'm always like, well, it wasn't exactly. But, but know, no, I mean, generally it was, you know, a thousand percent better. And, you know, it's hard, you know, there is no ideal, let's no. face it. A lot of people never achieve their dream, but that was a pretty good effort to do it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story. I think it's really important, one, to remind us about community and, and how lucky and fortunate so many people are to live on a street with neighbors. And, you know, to, to start to recognize that as, hey, maybe I should go talk to these people yeah, you know? <laughs> when you bake bread, you make two loaves and give one yeah. away, you know? Yeah. Have a block party. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Drink a beer with your neighbor on occasion. Yeah. Or a coffee. And look out for each other, right? Exactly. Yeah. Look out for each other, most importantly. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much for listening. If you are interested in learning more about what Starfire does, head over to our website, starfirecincy.org. And maybe while you're there, drop us a donation to keep good work in the lives of people with disabilities and families going. 